0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. With that, I'm going to transition over to the message. And if you've been with us a while, you know that we've been working our way through a sermon series on the Gospel of John. Today, I'm going to take a break from the Gospel of John to share a message that has been very much churning in my heart and has been something I'm living out to great benefit in the last month or so um, in a special way. And so I want to share that with you. And the title of the message today is Keeping God's Word. I'm to ask you a question. How many of you, it's a hypothetical, I'm not going to do anything, but how many of you would rather be hit physically or insulted verbally? Which would you rather have? To be punched in the face physically or just cursed out and insulted verbally? How many of you would take the physical hit? Okay, oh, astute students of the Bible. And a lot of us were like, duh, I'd rather have you because why? I'd re- Ever since we were young, Right, There we go. Ever since we were young, we're taught that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will what? Never hurt you. What a lie. I think that's one of the foulest lies taught to children is that words are harmless and sticks are powerful. The truth is, if you know anything about life, I'd rather take the punch in the face than a cruel word, because words have tremendous power. Bodies heal within days or months. Words wound sometimes for the entirety of a person's life. I've known people in their 60s and 70s who are still groaning under the weight of words spoken to them in their childhood. Labels given to them, names spoken over them that had such power. Even the good words, like, oh, you're the good kid in the family. You're the smart one. You're the one we always count on. And even these well-meaning words, we groan under the weight of the awesome responsibility and pressure those kinds of words create in us. Words have incredible power. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the church. And in that letter, he wrote these words. And guys, for some reason, I'm I'm having some trouble with this new clicker there. If you could help me out. When I do this, just... Just go like this, right? James 3.6 says, the tongue is also, also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Tell us what you really think, James. He's using really dramatic language to tell us, you think this little wagging thing in your mouth is powerless, it is one of the most powerful and potentially destructive parts of your body because it generates words. And words generate ideas and feelings out of which all our deeds flow. Deeds don't arise out of nothing. They arise out of ideas and beliefs. Lies we believe. Convictions we hold. And those things are all formed by words. The words you speak to to children have a uh, longer lasting effect than the things you do to them. So James tells us that words have tremendous power. And if you use them wrongly, they have tremendous destructive power. Do I need to keep saying this stuff? Don't you guys all know in your own life? Like some of you are right this minute going, uh, and with fresh pain, You remember some of those words spoken into your life. Loser, idiot, worthless, weirdo. Those are the tame ones. I toyed with the idea of saying some of the other ones, but I'm not going to. But you hear them in your mind, don't you? Even now. And the sting of those words... I'm done. You're not worth it. I give up. You'll never be anything. Those words have terrible power over the heart. They can enslave an entire life. But take heart, because that's so depressing to think about. Words also have another side to them there is a tremendous, positive, generative, creating power to words as well. <clears throat> the Bible is full of words like that. Okay. In Proverbs especially, there's a lot of things said about the power of words. To go back one, Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. I want you to know that if destructive words have destroying power over the heart, even over the, the physical body, gracious words have the opposite power. Those words can build up and even heal what was destroyed. If you go to the next slide, Proverbs 15.4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I love that imagery of a tree of life. I picture a desert oasis where something lush is growing in the midst of a really dry and barren place. That's the power that a healing, gracious, kind word can have over the human heart as well. And I've seen this work itself out. I have prayed over people, and felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to say words to them that I think just by themselves aren't going to have any effect. But as I speak those words, the Holy Spirit picks those words up, and I feel them shaking under my hand as emotions swell over them. And you can see it almost physically. The countenance changes. A person who is shriveled up inside by destructive words is being put back together from the inside out simply through the power of a God-ordained, spirit-filled, gracious word. It's amazing. I have <clears throat> I've prayed and spoken over people whose parents have rejected them in the most profoundly painful ways, and I've spoken a prayer called the Father Blessing over them, and it's just a prayer that somebody wrote a 100 years ago. But those words are filled with spiritual power, and they're words that these hearts have been starving to know. And I watch as that simple prayer. I'm not even their daddy, but I'm speaking from the father's voice, representing the earthly father they should have had and the heavenly father that they do have. And as I speak that blessing over them, I watch new life start to sprout out of dead places. It's amazing to me the visible change in people. Just through words. And so in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and we always say the writer of Hebrews, but I am 99% sure it's Paul. It's got to be him. I don't know. But (laughs) we could debate that a little. It just sounds so much like the things he says. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God, listen, is alive and active. That word active translates the same word from which we get energy. Here's what that means. That it's not just words like our words that have social power or relational power or emotional power. But there is, have you ever had this experience, those stupid charging ports at the terminals in the airport built into the seats? They have a little USB port and it never fails. I sit at the one seat. I'm like, oh, there's one free. And I sit down and plug it in and it's a dead port. It's the reason why no one's sitting there, and that's why I thought I was so lucky, but I'm not. You plug something in, and there's no juice flowing through it. Everything is connected right, but no power. The word of God is not like other words. There is an energy that flows through those words that are not like any other words in the universe. And they're so sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword. So that when the word of God is rightly spoken and applied, it cuts down to the places deep down where human words cannot reach. I've had moments in counseling people where I wish I would have recorded myself. It was just so good. I'm like, man, where did that come from? It was so profound. I wish I could have just written it down. I I don't mean to bother. I mean, sometimes I surprise myself. I'm like, I wasn't planning on saying that, and the word just came out. And I'm thinking, surely this person will crumble before me and go, oh, that was so helpful. And they just go, yeah, I guess. I mean, whatever. I'm like, how? How do you resist such wisdom? (laughs) How? And I realize part of the problem is I'm a pig-headed fool. And part of the problem is human words are like trying to cut a thick steak With a plastic knife. I mean, you're going and going and going. All you're doing is scoring the stake. You're putting a fold in it. You won't cut it. Something about the word of God has remarkable power. It, It is true. It's not like any... You can take the word of God at face value and go, well, that's persuasive, but that's not enough. Persuasion is about the brain, but it doesn't speak to the depths of where our life rises from. And you know it because some of you are connected to someone you deeply love, and you're trying to tell them, You don't understand. I love you so much. There's so much hope. We, there's a future for us. There's so much here. God loves you. He cares about you. You don't have to live like this. And you're saying it for like 20 years. And it's like that person is just water off a duck's back. But the word of God is not like our words, it is powerful and cuts deep to the place where fear lives, where hatred lives, where unforgiveness lives, where that inability, that paralysis that keeps you from changing and growing where it lives. Doesn't it stand to reason that if our words have power, God's word has so much more power? And yet here's what I found today, is the vast majority of the church here and across the world has such a very shallow or nearly non-existent relationship with the Word of God. And it breaks my heart because people are powerless to face a wicked world, a very challenging life. Life is not easy. If it's easy, you're not paying attention. You're doing it completely wrong if life is just easy breezy. Life here is hard. And so many of us are doing it with malnourished souls wondering why it's so hard to make it in this world. You could have education, wealth, beauty, intelligence, and it's not enough to get you through this life. Life will present you with burdens for which all those external strengths will not be enough. You're going to need something more powerful that cuts to the deep. And yet here we are Facing this kind of life in this kind of world, but we're missing the power that comes only through the word of God. So my call to you church this morning is if you have a very thin relationship with God's word, today is your invitation to rise up and change the way you relate to the Bible. Because I've learned one thing in my years of ministry is that a person's relationship with God's word is the single greatest predictor of spiritual vitality and newness of life. I'm amazed how many people in the church struggle, but it does not occur to us that we're so uprooted from the words that give life. So I'm going to blaze through some practical things because the rest of this sermon is just what to do to get that word of God back where it belongs in the depths of us. We need to eat. I love that image. Don't actually try to eat the book. That's just dumb, but it's a metaphor because Jesus once taught in Matthew chapter 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 there. And what he's saying is there are two beings in each person. There is the physical being that needs to be tended to by sp- by physical means like sleep, exercise, good food, and beverages. And then there's a spiritual being that needs to be fed and tended to by good spiritual practices such as the word of God. it's possible to have a body that is incredibly fit and healthy and a soul that is emaciated and weak. I think every one of us knows someone like this who on the outside looks like they're doing just fine, maybe more than fine. Maybe you even envy how they are in the exterior of their life. But it's possible to have everything firing on the outside and something inside is just withering away. You know how you know that's true of you? Is that while you have all the physical resources available to you, you lack the power to forgive and to move on. You lack the power to have real purpose or passion in your life. You lack the power to really change. I'm not talking about a few resolutions or habits, but I mean real change deep down where you're so frustrated with yourself, where you see the kind of people you wish you could be like, and you say, why am I not more like that? Have you ever had that experience? I have all the time. I see people who are so good at journaling, and they have these really beautiful calligraphy journals, and they just spend time richly. I'm like, I wish I was more like that. I'm never going to be like that. And sometimes more substantively, you see people who love what is righteous and have learned to not love what is destructive. And you look at your life and say, I'm drawn only to those things that are killing me. The things that that are giving me life, I just don't have any appetite for. When am I going to change? When our souls are emaciated and malnourished, We lack power on the inside to do anything substantive where it matters most. Now, many of us have gotten on a Bible reading plan for this year, and I'm grateful for that. We had over 70 people sign up at the beginning of the year to commit to a Bible reading plan. You don't have to show hands, but how many of you are still doing well? In your heart, if if you're doing well, be loud and proud. I was really behind like two weeks. So hopefully it helps you to know that the senior pastor of the church was tardy. I I got real behind like two weeks. And I was on the green plan, which is shameful because that's the uh, one chapter a day plan. And I started doing a bunch of other stuff. I started traveling and I just I just forgot to do it. So on one flight, I just got caught up. It was a long flight, like a 16-hour flight. It wouldn't end. And so I got caught up and then... In midair, it just occurred to me, I think I want to start the yellow plan. It was like day 70 in the year. <laughs> and the yellow plan is like six readings a day. And so I just started, and I, I got to tell you, it's been good. I, I, for Lent, gave up match three games. Do you guys know what match three games are? It's like the diversion of choice for OCD people. You just light up the tiles, they get all matched up, they disappear, and you just clean up the whole board. And it's just, I I think I love those games because my life sometimes feels like I deal with things and people that are just out of control. I'm powerless. I can't ever seem to get caught up, and I can't seem to help people the way I want to help them. And so when I'm feeling that way, often I turn wrongly to these match-three games to reclaim just a sense, a little sense of order or control in my life, like I could at least clear these levels. There's progress being made. I feel so nice about that. And I felt like it was becoming an idol. So I got rid of it, and I am astounded at how much extra space there is in my life. How often I turn to it when I'm feeling a little weird and I've just been opening the Bible app and I'm gorging right now through Lent. Like 20, 30 chapters a day of Scripture just washing over my brain, my heart, my soul. It's just, it's, I can't describe it to you. It's been so good in unexpected ways for me to just turn on the fire hose and shoot Scripture at my heart. I'm not just eating. I'm reading the Bible the way we often watch Netflix. (laughs) You wish you could just watch one episode. Netflix shows are like Lay's potato chips. You cannot just eat one. And we have this sensation of being full, but not having power. It's like if you ate nothing but cotton candy every day, three meals a day. You'd be full, but you couldn't get out of bed in the morning. You feel sick. I'm gorging now on celery and organic free-range chicken, on 20-grain bread, on brown rice, all of it in the spiritual realm. And I got to tell you, something really good is happening in my soul. So I want to invite you to do something because I've experienced what fasting from just games is like to awaken my hunger for the word of God. I'm resurrecting an old practice I used to do when I was a younger man, but I just gave up because I'm fleshly. Every year in the past at Holy Week, I would fast for the whole week leading up to Good Friday and I would break fast with communion at Good Friday service. I'm going to do that again this year, starting with Monday breakfast. I'm going to fast and be on a liquid-only diet all the way through our communion at Good Friday service. And I believe God's going to meet me in that place to really awaken a deeper hunger for him. First two days of a longer fast are just torture. And then in day three, something miraculous happens. If you make it there. Something great happens in day three of a long fast. I want to invite you, if you, just as you heard that, something in your spirit went, me too. And then the other things in your your spirit said, shut up. (laughs) Okay? If you felt that right then, oh, me too. Shut up. Tell that shut up voice to shut up and join me. It's okay if you only make it to Tuesday. The point is you tried. I'm going to invite you to take me up on that invitation and try fasting this Holy Week from everything solid except the Word of God. You could drink milkshakes from Steak and Shake if that helps you, okay? You're still going to be hungry, I promise you. But I want to ask you to join me in this and see what happens when you gorge on the Word of God because you've starved your heart of the lesser things that fill you up. I'm going to give you a second thing, practically, we can do to hold God's word deep in our hearts and our spirits. And that is to memorize God's word. Listen to what Jesus taught in Luke 6.45. A good man brings, and by the way, when we say man, please understand, it's man and woman. Okay? We're just using man generically to mean humans. I'll just say it that way. A good human brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And an evil human brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. Why? Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know that's true because there are people you care about who have said wicked, hurtful things to you and immediately said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And you're like, oh, yes, you did. That little apology doesn't erase because I just saw a glimpse into the unfiltered part of you. Your mouth accidentally blurted out what you're full of. That's really how you think of me, isn't it? And if you're honest, you're like, most of the time, yes, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you, but I can't lie and say that's not really what I meant. Because what Jesus reveals, and I'm sorry if I just screwed up the reconciliation that you just experienced from the fight this weekend. But here's the truth, and we got to get to the root of the disease. Jesus told us that words aren't just words because they are windows to something deeper. We speak words out of what the heart is full of. And the reason I use that image is because I think there's this beautiful picture of a glass filled to the brim with liquid, and when that glass is jostled in any way by life, what's filling it spills over the edge. Do you get what I'm saying? Not, not because you're trying to shoot it out, but because, and what's filling you just spills out. How many of you have had the embarrassing uh, experience of being like in a competitive situation, you get a little carried away, and you curse in front of church people? It's a really awkward moment. Everyone's like playing at a church volleyball league or something, and you miss, and you're like, ah, oh, bleep! And you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot I got to be church mode. <laughs> and you realize that when you're not around church folk, you got a potty mouth. you got a really good filter. But really, when you're really upset and you're not on your best behavior, that's the foul stuff that shoots because that's the foul stuff that's filling in here. You jiggle it, the glass spills over. And <laughs> what's inside, unintended, unmanaged, just spills over so the question to you is what spills over when you're jostled what are you full of that when life jars you a little bit this is what just unintentionally spills over the edge and i'm not asking that to make you feel guilty i'm asking that to shine a light on something true you'll see your heart by the words that slip out when you don't mean to when you're not on your guard because the things you store up is what comes spilling out. And So the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart. What has he chosen to store up in his heart on purpose? He stores up the word of God into his spirit so that he might not sin against God. That can mean a lot of things, but I'm absolutely convinced This includes committing scripture to memory. And we live in that sort of good enough world, so people aren't totally OCD about getting every word, every preposition right, but I think we should be as close to the actual words that we're learning from as possible. A paraphrase will work in a pinch, but I think there's something powerful about reciting the words of God in as close to the way that he intended them as possible. Scripture memory is a lost art today, isn't it? Do you guys remember sword drills when you were a kid and if you grew up in church and there would be prizes in Sunday school for the kids who they would cite a reference and the first kid, ooh, and it was always the same kid. Just knew all, I just, you know that kid? I was never that kid, by the way. I don't think any of those kids ever grew up to be pastors. I don't know why, but it's interesting that I was always the loser in the sword drill. John Piper offers eight reasons why he memorizes Scripture. And this came at the start of a sermon he preached, but before he preached a sermon, he recited like six chapters of Scripture from memory. I, that's, that's just, that's manly stuff right there. I, that's, that's how you go, I'm going to preach about Scripture memory. I apologize, I cannot do that for you. And I say that with deep regret in my heart. Someday, I hope I can. I want to paraphrase his eight reasons because I think they're beautiful reasons to memorize scripture. The first one is it enables meditation when you can't actually be reading. It's rude to try to read something while you're having a conversation with someone. It's dangerous to try to read something while you're driving a car. There are times when actively reading the book is not possible, and yet your mind is in kind of like a mode of idleness, and you want very badly To be churning and processing, it really helps with that. A second reason is it builds faith, it strengthens faith because the Bible says that faith comes through hearing the word. And as you hear that word in your own head, faith begins to grow stronger and stronger. Number three is that it shapes worldview by conforming our mind to the mind of Jesus, conforming our mind to the mind of Jesus. Number four is it makes God's word more accessible when we're battling sin and temptation. I've had this really come to play in my own life. There are times when I happen to be memorizing a verse, and that verse will come sharply to mind at a moment where I'm tempted to go the direction of weakness. And it's surprising how that simple recollection has power to redirect what I do. You'll know it if you've experienced it, but it really does have power to change what I choose. Number five is it fills our minds with truth so that we're better equipped to detect error even in our own thinking. Number six, and I love this one, is it arms us to fight the devil with a supernatural force he cannot resist. You know, I see these movies, Hollywood things, you could just hold up a wooden cross and somehow the devil goes... These talismans don't scare him. The one power he cannot resist is the presence of God himself, and that presence fills the words he speaks. There's a reason that we're told in Scripture that Jesus is called the Word. The Son of God and the Word of God are one and the same. And the one thing that the devil cannot resist or overcome is the power Of God Himself. Number seven, this is also a great one. It provides us the strongest and sweetest words when we need to minister to other people. You know, there are times when all of your affirming and encouragement don't seem to help. But just one timely word from the heart of God to that person, and you see that they begin the process of healing and recovery. And finally, I think this is also very important. It fosters a deeper fellowship with Jesus because Jesus speaks through his word. When that word is embedded in our hearts through memory, Jesus is actually better able to have conversations with us in our spirit because he recalls the word deposited there that he already spoke to us. I've been doing something kind of fun as I'm blazing through these 20, 25 chapters a day if I see a verse worth memorizing in my YouVersion app, I'm highlighting it in pink. Okay, Pink, just because that's a, a color that just jars my attention. And then I'm recording them in a little app called Pe- Flashcards by Chegg. Okay? You can use whatever you want. I just found this one to be really helpful. But some of you are old school. You, you want actual little cards. That's great. Use whatever works for you. But I've just been going through and cruising through the Bible and calling trying to pick little verses that I think are really worth committing to memory. And I'm creating a deck of these cards digitally, and I'm rehearsing them in my heart and my mind because I want to put those words in here for automatic recall. Are you with me? Now, i gotta, I got to finish up here because I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to move to the last thing, and that is write. This one might surprise you a little bit. It kind of surprised me, but... Uh, I had a, a really great conversation with a guy named Al Kirkbride, who's a pastor up in New Brunswick uh, at a church called Atlantic Community Church. New Brunswick is one of the four Atlantic Coast provinces of Canada. Most of us have no idea how Canada is structured, right? They, they can, most of those Canadians can name all 50 of our states. We have no clue how many provinces they even have. It's 13, by the way. And New Brunswick is one of those provinces along the Atlantic Coast. And he, testified about something profound that has happened in his life, and I want to share that with you, and I want to do more than share with you. I want to invite you into this practice with me. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 to 20, God gave an instruction even before Israel had their first king. He said, I know you're going to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land, and you're going to look around and realize all the other nations have this really majestic-looking, powerful guy called a king, and you're going to look at yourselves and go, we don't even have a king. We feel inferior, so you're going to demand a human king. And God said to them, I will let you have one, but be careful what you wish for. It's better to have God as your king than a person as your king. But such is life. People want what others have. So they demanded a king, and he gave this instruction – When you seat a new king for your nation on the throne, that king's first important public responsibility is that he must hand copy the entire book of the law onto a scroll in his own hands. This he cannot outsource. He cannot hire servants to do it. He must do it with his own hand, and the whole time he's doing it, the Levitical priests are watching him. And if he misses a punctuation, if he misses a, an article or a word here, or whatever, they stop him and go, nope, start over. And he has to do this until he's done. And that scroll, which he has written by his own hand, becomes his personal Bible for the duration of his reign and his life. And what it says is, by doing this, He engages more deeply in scripture than if he were just to read it or hire others to write it for him. And by meditating on this scroll, which he keeps close to his heart, it will guarantee as much as is possible that he will walk the way God intends for him to walk because he's going to be given unprecedented authority over his countrymen. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. Why? That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. I wonder what a difference it it would make if at inauguration... We made our presidents do that. Huh. <clears throat> Why the requirement to write in your own hand? And I, I didn't know exactly till I started, but something really amazing happens. And by the way, this is even more powerful for us today than it was 20 years ago, because who writes anything by hand anymore? Hey, let me just jot that down. What do you do when you say, let me just jot that down? You pull out your phone, and you type with your thumbs. We type everything. When's the last time you wrote something? Like how many of you even carry pens anymore? Do you know how... how, how I, all right. Some of you are like, I still do. All right, Poindexters. You know how many times I'm like, does anyone have a pen? And we're all standing around going, oh my gosh, not one of us in the circle has a pen. So I just take a picture of what, I, what it was I was going to... Or sometimes you go, just tell me your phone number, I'm going to video you. That's the world we live in. So in that world... When you do something weird, a new move, like actually writing with your hand, not only will you get carpal tunnel syndrome, but something new will happen because you're wearing new grooves into your brain. When you write, when you hand copy something, you read it once to absorb it, then you write it, you read it again to make sure you got it, and you read it, you end up reading it like five times and because you're doing it with your own hand the words somehow powerfully sink deeper than when you just read it as i've been transcribing scripture i've noticed something happening is i'm noticing words that i glossed over when i was reading and trust me when you're reading 20 chapters a day you're glossing over a lot of words i am not smart enough to process every word i'm reading i'm just i'm not savoring every swallow but when I copy it by hand, I taste every word. It rolls around in there. So we're gonna try something because this is what my friend Al did with his church. He got so blessed, he committed himself to writing a copy of the whole Bible by hand for each of his three children. He said, For this reason alone, I may be done having kids because it's getting really hard. But He's committed to it, and he's going to give that set of journals away to each kid as a Bible which your father, your earthly father, poured his heart into. And I was really blessed by that. So I've begun transcribing, but then he said, why am I keeping this to myself? I'm growing so much through it, so here's what I want us to do. I want to do what they did. They had this vision to have the whole congregation hand-copy the entire Bible. And then they would take these pages and hard-bind them into books, and they would have a congregational Bible literally written by the hands of the church themselves. And the beauty of crowdsourcing is it will take me two years to handwrite that thing. It will take all of us less than a year to do the whole thing if all of us get involved. I think this is such a beautiful idea and will freeze forever in time who was in our church family in this season, and that will be one of the most beautiful things for people in our prayer and reading room to just thumb through and see All the love and care that went into just taking the word of God, letting it pass through our hearts, out our hands, onto this page for posterity. You all look like you're not excited about it, but I'm telling you, I can't sleep at night thinking about what it will be like one day to thumb through the pages of this book. So we're thinking about the best way to do this. We probably won't bind the actual pages, although it would be kind of beautiful with all the coffee stains and wrinkles. That, that book will be like this thick, okay? So we're going to probably digitize them and make it about this thick. <laughs> but I can't wait for this project to get started. So today, you're going to get a chance to answer that call and join in this great project. And it will be done when it is done. The Holy Spirit and our participation will dictate how long this goes. I hope we can finish before Jesus returns. <laughs> so here's how it's going to work. You're going to go to the Welcome Center, which is our Welcome Center. It sounds so fancy. It's a table back there with a red tablecloth. Okay, You see it back there? Karen standing by it. If you go back there, if you hit the next slide, guys, <clears throat> and you'll find this little treasure box with some index cards. And in I think the team may have actually taken the index cards out and made four piles. We're going to, or five piles, we're going to work through as a first run Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts in one shot. So the four gospels and the historical record of the early church recorded in Acts. And here's what we're going to do. You're going to be invited to take as many index cards as you'd like. You could even thumb through and pick chapters that are especially meaningful for you if that matters. And so you're going to take a card. Here's what's really important physically take the card because it's printed with which chapters. You are committing to, and they will be your reminder. But don't just take the card and run. There is a sign-up sheet. Next slide, and we're going to ask you. I do have We're going to ask you to sign up your name so we know who committed to which chapter. So that when we're waiting for the book of Matthew to be done, except for chapter twenty-three, we could be like, seriously, Ray Chan, can we get chapter twenty-three from you? We're almost done. All right, so that's what, we we don't want to rush you, but we also don't want to just be like, the guy forgot and we forgot and we don't know what's going on. All right, so you will write your name down, and then there's a stack of transcription sheets. If you go to the next slide. And we're going to ask you to fill the, start copying the Bible onto those sheets. They're formatted in a standard way, and we're going to send out a PDF, so if you have to print new ones, you can do that to your heart's content. We're also going to have stacks of hundreds of these in the back, each Sunday so you can keep taking them, okay? Are you guys excited about this yet? So also in the back is a little sheet. You're going to find a half sheet that has guidelines. If you go to that next slide. And I want to walk through a couple of these quickly so that we're all on the same page because I'm hoping that everyone in our church will do at least one chapter before this thing is said and done. Can we set that as a reasonable goal? And we're going to extend this even to the children and to the youth group. I want this to be a community effort, so here are some quick guidelines. One is pray before you do this. Don't rush this. Pray. Ask the Lord to meet you in it. Number two is take your time. It's not a race. Some of you who want to be valedictorians of the Bible transcribing project are going to be like, I'm going to do 68 chapters by myself, and you're going to lose the blessing of it because you're turning this into a work. This is meant for you to savor every bite. So pick as many, me- and see. So here's what I mean. Set aside like 30 to 45 minutes per chapter. That's a reality check. That's how long it should take if you're doing this right. Number three is please write carefully. Don't skip words or sentences and be like, oops. You know, like, please look carefully. The scribes, if they got one word wrong, one letter wrong, would scratch up the whole thing, crumple it up, throw it in the fire and start over. That's how seriously they took this. If you make make a little mistake, get some white out. Or if, you're, if you don't care, if you're not OCD, just cr- scratch out the word and just keep going. It's okay. It'll add a little character. But if you miss like a whole sentence, <laughs> I don't want to see like a half page just scratched out. If, if you miss like a whole sentence, start over. It's okay. okay it's worth it. Number five blue or black ink only. Please don't use pencil and don't use burgundy ink or other. I know some of you really want to, but just please stick to blue and black. I think it'll just be helpful. Number five, six, take plenty of template sheets. Don't just take one and make one pass. Take like 10. It's okay to have extras. Number seven, I already addressed about mistakes. Number eight, here's the thing. Try to keep your finished pages in as good a reasonable condition as you can. And when you're done, turn them into the welcoming team at the table back there. And each week when you do, flip to the next slide there, you'll see that on the, on the right side of the transcription seat where you committed, there's a little box. Check off that box so we know that one's done. Then we could quickly scan and know. And when we have a book ready to go, we will digitize it and we'll put the volumes together. And then we'll introduce the next giant chunk of scripture. And in this way, we're going to build first a New Testament written by our own hands. And I can't wait for us to be able to flip through the pages of that and see what God did. And just imagine how many hours that represents of God meeting with his people as his word is reintroduced into the fabric of our lives. I'm going to draw this to a close. Um, in the prayer circle before service, We each Sunday we gather at 945 to pray for the service That's not an exclusive circle. Anyone in the church who wants to pray for our church service on any Sunday is welcome to join us in that circle back there. It's not an inside exclusive club. And this morning, Ed said something that really struck me again in a fresh way, that Jesus the Son is called the Word, the living Word. And that means that the way we relate to Scripture is the way we relate to the Son. To love the Word of God is to love the Son of God. To ignore or reject the Word of God is, in fact, to reject and ignore the Son of God. Because when the Word of God enters us, so also the Son of God resides with us through that Word. And our hope is that in doing this, it will not be a resurgence of duty and habit, but that you will grow in a fresh way to love and to long for and to yearn for the Word of God. I apologize because I didn't seek permission to share this. It's not embarrassing. It's actually something that blesses me, but I always remember a conversation I had with Marcus who told me he doesn't watch much TV, but he digs into serious Bible study. I think maybe at a level that exceeds what I do for sermon prep, that brother knows the Bible. It's comforting to have church members you can go to as a pastor and ask questions when you're stuck. And I just remember thinking what my life would be like if I replaced screen time with Bible time. What that would do to my soul. I'm beginning to glimpse what that looks like. And I can tell you, it hasn't been bad. It's been really good. My love for God, my sense of his love for me has really grown the last month this has been for me without a doubt the most memorable lenten season in all my years of walking with jesus and the difference maker is that his word has come rushing like a flood of water onto parched soil back into my heart in the most profound way and i just want to share that blessing with you because i believe that experience can be all of ours and i hope that somehow the net effect of this sermon is that in one way or another, through one of these three, maybe all three of these practical means, you would reawaken to how good God's Word is, and it would begin to enter you, and you would treasure it, hide it, hold it deep in your heart, and out of that, that power, which only comes through His Word, will start to do a really great work in you. And if you've been going through tough stuff, if something in you is dying these days, withering, you need His Word more than you could possibly imagine. Word of God is like exercise. When you least feel like doing it, it's probably when you most need to be doing it. I would encourage you this week, this very day, make a commitment, make a decision that opens your life back up to the Word of God.